scripture that was read came from the gospel according to St. John, the ninth chapter and the first through the seventh verses. And it read as follows. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. For a message this afternoon, I'll speak from the title, quite simply, The Work of God. There is a principle called causation. Causation. And it holds that when something happens, there is an outcome that can be tied right back to the something that happened. In other words, when one thing causes another thing to happen, we have a relationship that is called cause and effect. Cause and effect can be seen, for example, when you didn't set the alarm and you end up waking up late for work. Not setting the alarm is the cause. You're late for work is the effect. Ken over there was driving 75 miles per hour in a 35 mile per hour zone. <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> but he got a ticket. No, he didn't. But driving 75 miles per hour is the cause the ticket is the effect. Electricity went out for most of the day, and so the ice cream in the freezer melted. The electricity going out is the cause. Melted ice cream is the effect. You get the idea. These are examples of what I mean by cause and effect, where one thing happens, and it leads to something else happening, cause and effect. And the principle is called causation. Because such a principle exists, it means that when things happen in our lives, whether it be natural disasters or things that we didn't plan for, or whenever something happened in our lives that causes us some kind of a confusion, our natural tendency is to look for the reason or the cause so that we can understand the effect. It is because of this principle when you see, for example, some tragic news on TV. Have you ever noticed every time someone does something heinous in a neighborhood, all the neighbors would come out and they say, but he was a good person. They never expected this person to do the things that they did. In other words, it's almost as if they're saying, if the person was a bad person, it makes perfect sense. As if people aren't doing things that they want to do any old kind of way. So my point here is that we all have this tendency to believe that if we know the cause of some kind of effect, then we are able to justify what happened and it brings upon us a sense of comfort. 
It's almost as if if I know why this happened, it makes me feel better about myself. I need to know. And so because of this principle of causation is why people ask questions such as, why would God allow that hurricane to impact negatively the lives of so many people? It's because of causation why we ask that kind of question. Or why would God allow children to suffer and die of starvation? Why, why would God allow child abuse to take place? Why would God allow me to lose my job when I've got a family to feed? Why would God allow that person to shoot all those innocent children in school? Why, 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 why? When we ask all of these why questions, it is because we are simply relying on the principle of causation, but ultimately, the question that most of us ask is, why does God allow bad things to happen? That is the question on almost everybody's heart. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? The why question gets to the heart of the problem of evil. Evil is in this world. And in order to understand this, we have to first take a really good look at this thing called evil. Now stay with me for a while because we're going somewhere. St. Augustine, that great church father, he actually attempted to define evil as, as something that, that isn't but what is not. Hmm, that's a whole lot of words there, Pastor. What are you saying? In other words, he's saying evil is the absence of something as opposed to the presence of something. Give me an example, Pastor. Okay, so you got a really nice jacket. You love your jacket. But there's a hole in your jacket. Now, the hole in your jacket is a problem. You would agree, right, Reverend? The hole in your jacket is a problem. But what you need to understand about the hole in your jacket is that the hole in your jacket isn't really the problem. The problem is that there is an absence of the jacket being together. Something is missing, but the something that is missing needs the something that exists in order for it to be even a thing. St. Augustine was deep. Evil then, what he's saying, is not an actual thing. What he's saying then is that evil is really the absence of good. Evil in and of itself is not a thing but it is the absence of good. So if that is true, then we can hold on to and explain that God is not the author of anything that is evil because God cannot do anything evil, but what God can do is only the good. And when God does the good, those who choose not to receive the good are absent of the good. Therefore, evil abounds. Hmm. We have evil because we lack good. That's what Augustine is telling us, and I think that's a plausible argument. So evil may be defined or understood simply as the absence of good. Now going back to this idea of causation, there's a reason why things happen in our lives, but it's not always for the reasons that we may think or even believe. This brings us to look at how causation actually is at work in our text. Let's look. It says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents that he would be born blind. You see, the disciples are using the principle of causation. They believed that because this man was born blind, the reason he is blind was because he or even his parents committed some kind of sin, and because they committed some kind of sin, then that's the reason why this has fallen upon him. So in other words, if we are to translate what these disciples are really saying, if you really pay attention to the text, the disciples are really saying, this man deserved the punishment. Do you see that in the text? They're saying this man deserved the punishment. From the questions that people ask day to day, whether you or me, you can always tell what they think or what they believe. Very often you're trying to hide something that's going on in your heart, but believe me, brothers and sisters, your questions will always betray your heart. It will always tell you where you are. So, so, so let's see if we can take a closer look at that causation question. You see, I just want to know, if this man sinned, that he would be blind from birth, when did he sin? Did he do something while in the womb? How else would he have been born blind from the womb? I don't understand the question. So, so it seems to me that cause and effect doesn't work or apply there. So the disciples are asking really a very silly question. If you, tr if you believe me. I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying. The second thing we notice is that they said this man, maybe this man's parents sinned. Well, if it was the man's parents that sinned, are we then to assume that every child that is born normal to their parents, those parents are holy and righteous? You see where I'm going? Can you see it? Because... I don't know about you, but it seems to me that if they're saying if this man's parents sinned and this child was born blind, then for everyone who was born normal, then their parents did not sin. It seems to me that the principle of causation doesn't apply there either. But there is one more thing that I can see in this question. The third thing is, if this man's parents, right, caused him to be blind, whether it's him or his parents, I don't know. Is being, is being born blind or with some kind of disability a form of punishment from God? Does it mean that if you are born with some kind of a deformity at birth, it is some kind of punishment from God? That is the third thing that they seem to be saying in this text, and I refuse to believe that. So my point is, the disciples, by asking these questions, were really demonstrating their judgmental and their self-righteous attitude towards people, as well as their utter lack of knowledge about the nature and the works of God. This is not how the God I serve functions or even works. God, brothers and sisters, is all-loving. God is all-powerful. God is all-forgiving. God is always 
graceful. God is always benevolent. He's always caring. He's always merciful. He's never changing. And most of all, God is always holy. And in him, there is no evil at all. That is the God I know. Why God would allow evil and bad things to happen, none of us in this room can comprehend or even understand. Because what I can tell you, his ways are not our ways, neither are his thoughts our thoughts. And the things of God is far greater than anything you and I can appreciate with our finite mind. So let's get that straight. There are things in life that we don't understand. And while we may see the effects, we don't always understand the cause. But let's see how Jesus responds to these disciples. Because again, there is a lot to learn from the master teacher. Jesus answered and said, Dudes, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Whoa. Now we are taking a different turn. And I want you to stay with me because Jesus makes it clear that his answer to the three parts of the question that I shared with you before is different. Watch this. Was it this man that sinned? Jesus is saying, no. Was it this man's parents that sinned? Jesus is saying, no. no. Is this man's blindness or disability punishment? Jesus is saying, no. Jesus is saying, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus is up to something. And I want to know what Jesus is up to. So, so, so then, Jesus, if I were a disciple, so Jesus, if it's not this man sinning or his parents sinning, because I can be self-righteous too. Trust me, I know my own demons. And if it's not punishment, then Jesus, I believe in the principle of causation. So what then? What then is the cause? I want to know the cause. What is the reason? For this man's disability. Why would a good God allow this man to be born blind? Why would God allow children to go hungry in this world? Why would a good God allow earthquakes and hurricanes and famines and all of the things that we may consider evil in this world? Why would God, why, 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 why would you allow these things to happen? Before we get to the answer, we must fully understand something. We have to talk about something called sin. You and I in this church today, we live in a fallen world and we fall short of what God expects of each and every one of us. I am clear about that. I am very certain that for the most part, you are all very, very fine people. I believe you're all very good people. I believe that. I believe you all want to live a good and decent life and every now and then you may fall into some kind of situation or make some kind of decision that you regret. But for the most part, I want to believe and I want to own that for the most part, you are all very good people. You have done things that you wish you could take back. And again, that's all of us. You know, we want to get another try on all of these things. But before the day is done, make no mistake about it, you're going to do something that displeases God. You might be the one that is perfect, but I'm telling you, before the day is done, you're going to do something that displeases God. You're going to say something to someone that you shouldn't say. You're going to think something you shouldn't think. 
All of these things are the human condition because of something called sin that is alive in each and every one of our lives. There is a deep darkness inside each and every one of us, whether you believe me or not. I am telling you, I don't need to do much more than just look at your search history on your internet to know. In fact, sometimes the darkness becomes so much a part of our way of living, we have difficulty recognizing that it is evil. And again, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just simply saying that from the time of Adam and Eve in the garden, when they disobeyed God in the garden of Eden, all of us have been cursed by that one act which has so infected mankind that we are told even today the entire earth groans and travails because of that act. So what I'm saying to you is earthquakes and famines and all of these things, sin in our lives, all of the problems that we're facing is simply because the first cause was when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and brought sin into the world. And when it came into the world, it affected you and me and even the very earth. We're talking about global warming. All of these things is the earth trying to tell us that we have a problem. You can deny it. You can turn away from it. But brothers and sisters, denying it and turning away from it will never, ever make it go away. But despite all the evil and the sinning, the corruption, the backbiting, the betrayals, the guilt, the shame, the lying, the accusals, the cheating, all of the wickedness that we see in all of the world, in the lives of people, Jesus says it was neither this man nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, the issue is not who is at fault because every one of us have fallen in some way. But despite what our challenges and our problems, if we have enough faith, what I'm telling you, what you are experiencing in your life is an opportunity for God to get glory. You see, <laughs> I don't know if you hear it, Jesus even went further to say, watch this, I just love Jesus. Jesus says, we must work the works. See, it's right here in the text. I ain't making this up. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Watch this. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So I have a very curious mind. And I find this to be a most profound statement because Jesus is now using the metaphor of light and darkness as a means to talk about the works of God. Listen, you're going to learn something today. So let's see if we can interpret this. Jesus is saying, whatever the works of God is, whatever it may be, he's saying this can only happen in daytime. The text is clear. Whatever the works of God is, it can only happen in daytime because when the nighttime comes, no one can work. But as long as he, meaning Jesus, is in the world, we can do the works of God because he is the light of the world. So, Pastor, what on earth does that mean? It's cryptic. Here's the thing. And stay here with me, church. Because if you get this, you got it. Number one. Number one. If Jesus is the light of the world, then if he is in the world, it's always daytime. Think about what I just said. Jesus says, 
I'm telling you, if Jesus is in the world, it's always daytime. If Jesus is the light of the world, then when he is not in the world, it's always nighttime. Remember how we described evil before? I said to you that it is not a thing in and of itself, but that it was instead the absence of good. In a similar way, we can look at this phenomenon of light and darkness. You see, darkness is not a thing in and of itself. But darkness is nothing more than the absence of light. So all of the power does not rest with darkness. All of the power rests with light. So, so, so when there is light, there is the ability to see. When there is not light, you can't see. Darkness is not a thing. For all of us, Satan is the prince of darkness. When he comes along, we give him more power than he even deserves. Satan is darkness. He doesn't have any power. The only thing that has power is light. So either there is light or there is not light. So Satan does his best work in the dark, which means when you turn off the light, when you refuse the light, you have made yourself susceptible and open to whatever it is that Satan wants to do. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And as long as I am in the world, the works of God can be performed. I don't, I don't know if, you, if you're getting this, but this excites me. Because it says to me that as long as I have my being, I want Jesus around me. I want Jesus above me. I want Jesus beneath me. I want him beside me, to my right, to my left. I want Jesus all around me. Because if I'm reflecting light all around me, there is no room for darkness. So what does this mean practically for you and I as we get ready to close? It means that wherever there is darkness in your life, whether in your family or in your world, what I'm saying is Christ is ready to bring the light of life into your dark situation. That's what Christ does. Darkness in people's lives can differ in many ways. For some people, you know, you may be a child in a war-torn country. Darkness might look like killing and raping and plundering and all. I mean, darkness is just dark. It could be addiction that you're struggling with. It's darkness. You, you, you could be in an unhappy relationship. There's, there's some darkness there. You, 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 you could have an inconsiderate boss. You could be the inconsiderate boss. It, it could be waiting for someone who is getting ready to pass away. There is a pain that causes darkness in your soul. That's what I'm, darkness looks different. It's not always spooky with a monster with horns. Darkness can be anything that pulls you out of the light of God's love. Sometimes we hold on to unforgiveness in our souls. What I'm telling you is by holding on to unforgiveness, what you have done is you have created space for darkness. You may have ought against your neighbor, thinking something. And oh, by the way, here's how Satan gets you into darkness the best. All he has to do is place doubt and a lie in your mind about someone else. It's not even true. But he found a way. 
because you let him in. So what I'm saying is you have to cultivate a lifestyle that when you feel like you're starting to move a little bit away into the shadows of, 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 of the night, I'm telling you, Jesus is just a stone throw away because that's what he does. And as long as he is in the world, it is always daytime. In the light that Jesus brings, darkness will always be replaced with hope. Many of us, particularly in our community, are devoid of hope. We wonder, where is all this going? What I'm telling you is because darkness is fooling you into thinking it's got some power. It ain't. Darkness has no power. Jesus came to bring the light of God's love and grace into the world. And you will find in Jesus the strength to carry on. I'm not telling you this because I'm a pastor and it's nice church words. I'm telling you that I believe what this Bible says. I have been in dark places in my life. I have been in places where I don't know the end from the beginning. I don't know my coming or my going. I don't know what's going to happen with my family. I don't know what's going to happen with my job. I don't know what's going to happen. I was in a dark place, but I hold on to his unchanging hand. I lean on his everlasting arms and I look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. And as long as I am in the light, as long as I'm in the light, he, my, my problems may not go away, but the despair and the worry that burdens me down is no more. He says, cast your cares onto me and I will, I will care. Listen, Jesus is exactly who he says he is. So where there is guilt, Jesus will bring forgiveness. Where there is despair, Jesus will bring you a sense of hope. Where there is weakness, he offers strength, for his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Where there is anxiety and worry, he provides the peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't even make sense. You just have a peace. My house is falling apart, but I just have a peace because God knows what he's... <laughs> Where there is doubt, Jesus brings faith. Where there is despair, he brings hope. Where there is sickness, he brings healing. Where there is sadness, he brings joy. And most of all, most of all, where there is hatred, Jesus brings his love. This is the light that he brings to the darkness and what we mean by the works of God. It, it, is, it is your ability to function despite all of the hell you're going through in your lives. You look at some people and you know their story, but somehow they're not giving up. They still hold on. You listen to some of the older saints and they say, just a little more Jesus, just a little more Jesus, just a little more Jesus, just a little more Jesus. They haven't stopped moving. Just a little more Jesus, just a little more Jesus. be down you might even be broken but as long as you keep moving just a little more Jesus just a little more Jesus just a little more Jesus and before you know it you'll start running I don't know if this makes sense to any of you but what I can tell you is try him Try him. Just try him. 
You sit, some, some of us, we sit there and we're like, yeah, 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 that's a whole lot of churchy, churchy stuff. But let me tell you something. Some of my best prayers, <laughs> you know, sometimes I pray and people love when I pray sometimes. And this is the truth. You know, I call on God, Lord, you are almighty, you are everlasting, and all that. But there are times when some of my best prayers have just been simply, Lord, help. 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 Lord, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Lord, help. I don't know where to turn. Lord, help. 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 Listen, Jesus ain't looking for you to give him a dissertation on the book of Matthew. He ain't looking for you to do an exegetical analysis on the book of Joel. Jesus is looking for your heart that will say, I can't take this anymore. And I need thee. I need thee every hour, every minute, every moment, and every day. Oh, bless me now, my gentle Savior. Pass me not. Oh, Lord. Listen, sometimes all you need to do is sing a little hymn. But let me wrap up. Because I don't know. I want to close this out. All I've talked about is your ability to overcome. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The reason why many of us are still stuck is because we're holding on to our stuff. Listen, the help you need might be sitting right next to you and you don't even know it. But you keep holding on to your stuff, thinking that you can fix it. I can do it. Meanwhile, all you have to do is say, listen, I can't, you know, this is what's going on in my life. Yeah. And someone will say, well, you know, I know somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know somebody who can do what, what, what. Listen, we are the church for a reason. And I said to you before in the prayer time, there is no shame and guilt here. The problem with our community is that we don't talk to each other enough. We're too busy texting, which is cool. But sometimes you need to find someone, a believer, someone who has faith. Someone who has been through the fire. Someone who has been through the storm. Someone who has been through the desert. Someone who has found a way in the wilderness. Someone who now has a river flowing through their desert. Someone who has a testimony that can tell you, I once was down, but now I'm up. I once was broken, but now I'm together. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blue, but now I'm gray. I once could move. But now I can see. Oh, hallelujah. Y'all gonna make me stay up on this mountain too long, and I know y'all wanna get something to eat downstairs. But, 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 but let me close out this way. All I've described to you is the works of God. Forgiving someone who has hurt you is the works of God. Loving someone who is unlovable is the works of God. Caring for someone who can't care for themselves is the works of God. All of these things that you do for your neighbor is the works of God. But there is something unique. Something we call, not watch this now, the work of God. It's different from the works of God. There is the work of God. You see, it's not plural. It's, the S is gone. The works is what you and I do. And the text lets us know that while Jesus is the light of the world, and if he's still in the world, you can do the works of him who sent you. As long as he's in the world. He is the light of the world. When he's in the world, it's always day. The church is the manifestation of the body of Christ. Which means as long as we are believers, Christ is in the world and we can do the works. But we need to know the work of God. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that you and I might be forgiven 
when we trust in faith in the work of God. When we by faith receive the sacrifice that he offered once and for all, which gives us access to eternal life based on what John 3, 16 said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's talking about the work of God. You see, Jesus willingly laid down his life. He allowed people to beat him, to scorn him, to scourge him, to kill him, to crucify him. All the evil that was done to him, you and I deserve. But when he sacrificed himself on that cross, he demonstrated the greatest love of all. And when he did that, when he did that, he redeemed you and me. So what I'm telling you, he already paved the way. By dying on that cross, he said, listen, I cover you now. Now that I've covered you, when you walk, put me on. When you're troubled, put me on. When you're struggling, put me on. When you don't know what to do, put me on. Because as long as you wear him, you reflect his light. And you can only do that while he is still in the world. So my brothers and my sisters, the text says, when he had said this, <laughs> he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away, the man, and washed and came back seeing. Here's where the road meets the road. The blind man in the text was born blind. The cause of his sin was not him or his parents. The cause of his sin was Adam and Eve and their disobedience in the garden. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The moment you were born, David tells us, you were born in iniquity and shaped in sin. It means that you were born blind just like him. But through no work of his own, Jesus came. And I love the fact that you need to understand that when you can't see or understand what I'm telling you, it's because you need a little spittle on your eye. You see, Jesus went down and he made what Jesus was doing in that single moment was taking that blind man and all of his disciples back to the Garden of Eden. It was in the Garden of Eden that God fashioned man out of the clay of the earth. It is Jesus who gives you eyes to see, ears to hear, nose to smell, a mouth to speak, hands to touch, a body to feel, a heart to understand, a mind to think. Jesus gave you all of this thing. And when he did that, he's saying, you were blind from the moment you were created. But because I am who I say I am, I will now take the very thing that was used to create you to fix and to solve your problem. But what it only works while I am in the world. For in the nighttime when I am gone, no one can work. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how clear this was to you. I don't even know what you hear. But what I'm telling you is that I have a belief and a conviction in my heart that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus does done for me things that I'm telling you, I can't even explain. My wife will tell you, we would tell you all stories, but you can't hear them all in one sermon. So, it is incomprehensible to the human mind, which theology and learning and studying cannot even begin to explain 
why one man's death on a cross has the power and the ability to release power and forgiveness in our lives in a way that allows us to find freedom in our soul. How one man's resurrection life releases power that holds a promise for eternal life for anyone who will receive him. I don't understand, but what I do understand and believe is that you are in the darkest closet of your lives. And while you are in that dark closet, all you need to do is just crack the door just a little bit. For just as that little light is able to come in, it dispels the darkness no matter how big or how great it is. That is what Jesus offers to you and to me. So on this day that we celebrate friends and family, on this day where we have the privilege and the opportunity to walk in the light as he is in the light, on this day, I want to make sure that nobody here leaves this place stuck in darkness. So Jesus says, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. But while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is here. You know him because you felt him in the worship. He is here. And while he is yet here, you have the opportunity to get a little spittle on your eyes. Everyone standing at this time.